Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Karen Lee, uh, who is a financial planner uh, based in the Atlanta area. Welcome to the show, Karen. Yeah, thanks for having me, Jordan. Uh, why don't you just start a bit with your background and how you got to where you are today as a financial planner. Sure. Um, actually, I, I started out, um, I have a Bachelor of Architecture degree. I thought I wanted to build buildings, and shortly into that career, discovered that it wasn't going to be uh, what I would call mommy-friendly. I was young, but planning to have a family one day and, and wanted to ultimately be in control of my own destiny and went looking for a, a business I could own, so to speak, that would help me have flexibility down the road but make an impact in people's lives. And I found financial planning back in 1987 and launched into this business. So uh, what kind of background have you had to, to become the financial planner you are today? Well, 23 years of experience and counting. I have all the different licenses that are appropriate for different financial vehicles, Series 7, Series 63 and 65, uh, in all the insurance licenses. Early in my career, I got the Chartered Life Underwriter and Chartered Financial Consultant designations. Those are through the American College in Bryn Mawr, Pennsylvania. And then shortly after that, started into a master's degree program also with the American College. Right after I finished that, which was in uh, 2000, the IASP, which is now the Financial Planning Association, well, they decided that the main certification that all financial planners should have and that they would support to the consumer was the CFP, the one more well-known now, Certified Financial Planner. I went in and got that, and that was about 10 years ago. So all those combined, plus uh, the real-life experience to me is what gives me the most uh, credibility at this point. And tell us a little bit about what kind of clients you tend to deal with. Are they high net worth or medium? No, what, what kind I, of people are you dealing I, with? Again, remember that my career has spanned over two decades. When I went into the business, I was only 25 years old. So I, I can't say I started out with high net worth clients. I First of all, I always split financial planners usually into business planners versus personal. I was geared towards the personal, working with uh, individuals, families, and planning everything from college education to retirement, uh, vacation homes, etc. But over the years, my client base has shifted. They've certainly become older and uh, somewhat more affluent, certainly. I would say the average now are in their 40s, 50s, and 60s. Certainly some people in their 70s and 80s, and I know worth, you know, depending on how you define that, most people who come to financial planners are affluent, but not necessarily uh, wealthy, super wealthy. Why do you think most Americans don't have financial planners? I mean, do they just don't need them? They don't think they can afford them? They don't think it'll help them? I, A lot of people need financial planners, the same, but don't, in fact, have yeah. them. I think, in fact, all people can benefit by financial planners, and I think there's some problems on both sides of the coin. What you just said is dead on. People either don't think they need them, think they can't afford them, or think they don't work with people like them, meaning that they don't have enough money. The flip side, though, Jordan, is that there are financial planners out there who will only work with people who have one, two, three million dollars as a minimum, and that, that narrows the pool quite a bit. You said early on in your uh, career uh, that you almost quit in frustration mm, uh, because people couldn't uh, follow a financial plan uh, that you'd put together so carefully. 
Right. Is that still true? And now they're following your financial plans perfectly, and so you're you're happier, or what, no, what is happening? Absolutely, that absolutely not. Uh, what happened for me? <laughs> what happened for me? And this, we'll talk a little bit more about this, I'm sure, as we go on. But I, I happened to be raised in a, a particular way that I did not realize was that dramatically different than the next person. But my father was an immigrant to this country, and really, he and my mother came from very little money, very educated, uh, decent jobs. You know, high school teacher, mechanical engineer. And so they they modeled a certain behavior to all three of their children around money. And to make it quick, they just learned to live on my father's income and sock away my mom's income when she was teaching. They continued to make decisions to live in a lesser than house, to drive a used car, to et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, lo and behold, over time, they became financially independent and, and quite well off. So I went into financial planning with that background. And never really saw that money was problematic, and it wasn't problematic to me. And what I had told you as we were getting ready for this was about 10 years into my practice, I became frustrated, and at first I didn't understand why. I thought it was pretty simple that people just didn't follow the plan. They spent more than I told them they should spend, or they simply couldn't carve out the savings amount that they needed to save. And over time, I came to realize that it was actually a far deeper much more complex problem than the way I saw it. The first thing being, most people weren't raised as I was. They didn't learn good money skills, and it doesn't come easily to them at all. Uh, so it's not – what happened was is I, I changed my focus of, of the, the passion of why I stayed in the business, and over the last 10 years, I, I've become more interested in helping people understand how self-sabotaging much of their behavior can be as they approach their finances, and that if they can't fix the core underlying behaviors, the, the best plan in the world won't make a difference for them. They simply won't be able to be successful financially. What are some of those, those core underlying uh, things, that's habits that they've got? Uh, that they, the ones that, that seem to fail or the ones that succeed? What ones that seem to fail, that, that undermine their ability, willingness yeah. to follow through in a plan? Well, I think we see it rampant in America. I, I don't know about other countries, but people, the number one thing is that people spend more money than they earn. And a big part of that is the onset of how easy, up until a couple years ago, credit was to get. But that onset of the credit card back in 1950 really unleashed a whole host of, of new negative behavior around money, where people learned that they could buy things that they really couldn't afford, and it became a way of life. So has that changed now that credit is more uh, tight and more difficult to get? Have people uh, changed? Their, have you seen a major change in their behaviors? There's some subtle shifts going on. I, I think the, the big question I have is, will it be a huge paradigm shift? And I don't think so. Uh, I think people are so set in their ways, they, they forget very quickly. What we're seeing now is a, a small shift upward in the savings rate. I think from before the recession, we were down at 0 to 1%. At the peak of the worst point, we got our savings rate up to about 6%, and credit balances went lower. However, just in the past six months, that's already shifted not all the way back, but we're back down to only a 3 or 4% savings rate. Um, and let's face it, if we go back a decade or more, we used to save upwards of 10% and, and even higher in the years after the, the Great Depression and all. So we're, we're still not close to where we need to be. So there's some shifting occurring, but certainly not a complete reversal by any means. So if you have a client comes in who makes a decent income, yes. but they're still spending more than they're bringing in, even if they have a decent income, 
what do you do, not just to write down a plan about his or suspend, but actually have them implement it so they've changed their beha- behavior that got them into the problem in the first place? Right. Well, I, I start with um, being very candid about what that underlying problem is. And again, you know, looking at a looking at my industry, the financial planners are really, they're looking to uh, help the clients, but they're also looking to certainly earn an income. And I've gone a step beyond that and just said, I just tell the truth. And the truth is, in this situation, I can sit here and work out a plan for you, but if we don't get to the root of this behavior, you spend more than you earn. You're carrying $20,000 in credit card debt, yet you earn enough to not be carrying any debt. If we can't fix this behavior, you're always going to be one step away from disaster. So first step would be telling the truth to the client and seeing if if they're open and willing. Now, I'll tell you at that point, some people aren't open and willing. They do not want to confront those things, and they're going to go on living the way they're going to go on living. I would probably steer that client elsewhere. Uh, in the event, though, I get someone who says, yeah, I know I've got a problem, and I know I really need to fix that, and I, I want to change, then I'm probably going to start down a, a series of questioning uh, to start, try to uncover, and it's going to sound a little bit like therapy, which I don't mean to come off sounding like a therapist, but... I'm going to want to ask them questions like, what, what does money mean to them today? What, why are they earning what they're earning? What's the purpose? Is it security? What are some of the areas that you're seeing people typically overspending these days that is controllable, that they can uh, reduce without drastically harming their lifestyle? Say that again? What are some of the areas that people are overspending today well, that they can <laughs> reduce without dramatically hurting their lifestyle? Uh, I would think that one of the biggest would be conveniences. Um, picking up a bottle of water at the gas station instead of filling up a cup before you leave the house, running by Starbucks for your $4 coffee instead of, um, you know, making a cup or two before you leave your house. So conveniences are huge. Uh, Buying fast food or already prepared meals or eating out over cooking at home. Uh, those are some dramatic areas, but but you know what? They sound so simple. I don't think they're that simple for people to fix that have gotten into that behavioral way of living. Um, you say that since in the last two years or so, since we've had the financial meltdown yes. back in 2008, that it has made it clear, more clear than ever, uh, that people need to make better financial decisions. How did people go into that financial meltdown prepared for it or unprepared for it? Right. And what has been the impact on them since that time? Well, the first thing we have to talk about is the, the real estate situation that they went into. And so sometime over the previous, say, five years or so, way too many people made the decision to purchase a home that was far beyond what they could afford. Bottom line, they just said, I can afford this. Prices will keep going up. As they went forward down that path and they were overspending in other areas, they kept refinancing their house. You know the story, and and they got themselves into a pickle. Beyond overbuying in real estate, people went into the financial meltdown without adequate emergency reserves. That's one of the basics of financial planning is have six months of what you need to pay your bills in emergency funds. Very few people have that. And now we're actually looking at that you probably could use a year's worth. And that's just if you lose your job, you need to be able to keep paying your bills. So I would say overbuying real estate was one of the big problems going into any time in our economy without adequate emergency reserves. 
And lastly, going into uh, going into a, a crisis already having debt, not mortgage debt, but uh, whether it's car debt or credit card debt. See, we're now living in a time where people believe that carrying debt is normal and acceptable. And I think that that's one of the biggest challenges we face moving forward is trying to uh, change that belief system. It's really, it shouldn't be appropriate. Particularly at the high rates that the credit card companies are charging today. So, so what have been some of the impacts? So that's the way they went into the financial right. meltdown. What have been some of the impacts since when the value of their real estate went down, when their uh, debt didn't go away, when they didn't have their emergency reserves? What happened? It's disastrous. I, I, I mean, I cringe just even thinking about your question. I'm sure everybody listening, and you included, we all have friends, neighbors, um, associates that are going under completely. And we're not talking about just the low, uh, lower middle class or poverty level people, but people in our own neighborhoods that are losing their homes to foreclosure. They're going bankrupt, which is going to destroy their, their financial lives for a solid seven to 10 years. Uh, you know, marriage is falling apart because the money situation is so dire. Kids not being able to go to college that thought that they were going to be able to go to college or thought they had college money reserves, and now they're going to have to take on tremendous debt to be able to go to college. So uh, there's financial disaster happening all around us. Uh, and this is what you're seeing in some of your clients, where, where the, you know, they thought they were in good shape, and then they were surprised when they weren't. Is that what you're saying? I think with my clients, that, that because I'm so frank with them, that they would have known going into it. That they weren't in bad, that they weren't in great shape. In other words, I would have said, "You still don't have your emergency reserves. You still are not saving on the level we should." But it didn't hit home. They heard what I said, but they said, "I'm going to live that way anyway." It didn't hit home until they say lost their job, didn't get a bonus that they were counting on, uh, wanted to sell a house that they could no longer sell because it was underwater. That's when they realized, "Oh my gosh, I think she's right. I wasn't prepared." Very good. All right, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Karen Lee, uh, who is a financial planner in the Atlanta area. And we're talking about all aspects of your personal financial planning. We'll be back after this. Up-to-date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network. Are you ready to go green? You've asked and we've heard you. Voice America presents the Green Talk Network. Environmental topics are at the forefront of our society, and the Green Talk Network is here to keep you up to date on the latest trends and new innovations for the eco-conscious lifestyle. We'll help promote a variety of ideas on the environment, from global warming issues to how you can become more eco-friendly in your daily activities. Be a part of the solution, not the problem. Visit the Green Talk Network page on voiceamerica.com and tune in to help spread the green. Hi, this is Jordan Goodman, host of The Money Answer Show. I cordially invite you to join me and some of my favorite investing experts for the Money Answers Investing Cruise from February 12th through February 19th, 2011, on board Holland America's luxurious MS Eurodam. In this volatile investing environment, good advice is more important than ever, and this exclusive Caribbean cruise offers not only fun, but also a full week of highly informative events with me and other top investing experts like Ray Lucia 
and Charles Payne from Fox News Network. During seminars, panel discussions, and Q&As, at cocktail parties and at dinners, we will discuss current market conditions and the best places for your investment dollars. Meanwhile, luxuriate in the amenities of Holland America's newest ship and visit some of the best ports for shopping, sightseeing, and sunning. For more information, go to www.moneyanswerscruise.com or call 800-707-1634. That's 800-707-1634. And don't delay because spaces are limited. Income Property Investment Talk with Peter Mosca and Dean Issa provides homeowners and investors eager to invest well in real estate the knowledge, resources, and tools necessary to generate significant wealth. Our focus will be the paradigm. Live where you want. Invest where it makes the most sense. Listen live to the brightest minds in real estate investment every Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. That's Income Property Investment Talk with Peter Mosca and Dean Issa, where America learns to invest. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Karen Lee. Uh, who is a financial planner uh, based in the uh, Atlanta area. Welcome back to the show, Karen. Thank you. Uh, tell them about uh, your website and how they can find out more about you as well. Oh, great. It's uh, easy. It's www.karenlee, that's K-A-R-E-N-L-E-E, and associates, spell out and, dot com, karenleeandassociates.com. Probably the, the most interesting section on there would be the tab that's in the news. I've been trying to promote uh, a lot more uh, conversation between uh, myself and the press concerning some of the topics that you and I are talking about today. So there's a lot of good articles that I've been quoted in, and I've, I've done a bunch of work uh, with CNN lately, which has been wonderful. I'm on about once a month on Saturdays with Frederica Whitfield, and we've, again, had some many conversations that are right along the lines of what we've been talking about and are going to continue to talk about today, Jordan. Right. All right, well, let's get to some of the psychology around money, because the way people feel about it makes a big difference in whether they're in good or bad financial shape. That's huge. Um, what are some of the things that money can mean to people, um, and how does that affect the way they deal with money? Okay, well, one of the top things that is helpful is if you look to money as security. If money makes you feel secure, you're going to tend to be the kind of person who's not going to be very careful on what you spend and make sure that you save a lot. So a security-driven person is usually in a pretty good scenario. The more problematic uh, relationships with money are when, when money defines self-worth, makes you feel important. And, for example, status, what we could talk about keeping up with the Joneses. So if you believe that I am what you perceive on my outside, on my car, the car that I drive, uh, the house that I live in, that defines me, then you're constantly going to be chasing this uh, carrot, so to speak, that uh, is always elusive. Because, you know, there's always someone who has something nicer than you. So how do you deal with those clients if you have a client that's security-oriented, Versus one that's status-oriented. How do you deal with them differently in the kind of financial yeah. plan? Well, interestingly, on the security-driven person, I, there's really not much I have to do on the upfront in terms of helping them get on board with the financial plan. 
if anything, they're the ones that sometimes I actually have to go to and say, you know, it's okay if you spend a little. It's okay if you get someone to take care of your yard. It's okay if you renovate this portion of your house. And ultimately, it's okay if you retire. You really are in good enough shape to retire. Go ahead and do it. But I'll be honest, those people are rare. I don't run into too many of those. So the harder ones are the ones who you know, come right out and make it real clear. Uh, I recently had seen someone who was getting a raise and I suggested that they were not maxing out their 401k. Why don't we go ahead and now that you, once you get that raise, we'll, we'll go ahead and list uh, how much you're putting aside to the maximum the government allows you. And, and I saw a little pout on their face and I said, well, what's that pout about? And they had crossed their arms and said, well, you know, I was really looking forward to getting a new car. So that is a person who is going to value say, the new car over watching their account balance rise quicker in their 401k. Now, so you're, I, you're, you're the bearer of bad news then. You're the, yes. the, the bad guy, the bad cop here. Huh? Hey, financial planners always are. We always tell people you need to be saving more than you are. So at that point, I, you know, what I would do is I'd have a conversation with that person about the reality of what they're telling me. I, I really can't you can't change people. All you can do is sort of be, help them become aware of how they make decisions. So with that person, I'll try to guide them. You know, again, if they're going to buy the car, they're going to buy the car. But I can show them how they're planning. They're simply not on track for retirement or they're, if they lost a job, they're three months away from being in big trouble. And do you really want to take on this debt? And then uh, how does uh, the way people were raised affect uh, these attitudes? Is it usually if they're security-oriented, it's because their parents are security-oriented, and if they're status-oriented, their parents the same way? Is it kind of directly passed down from the previous generation? Very glad you asked that because I'm really fascinated by how people were raised and the direct impact that it has on how they are as adults around money. But, you know, it's not always a direct correlation. Have you ever seen a family where the parents are the same, but you'll have two or three kids that, you know, one's a complete spendthrift, the other one uh, hoards money, right? So it doesn't all, it's, it's more how they were raised and their reaction to how they were raised. Some people go 180 degrees the opposite from the way their parents raised them. My parents saved all their money and never enjoyed anything, and I'm not going to live that way. Mm-hmm. That might be the opposite. Uh, but what's, what I think is, is really interesting about this conversation is the generation of people that we have today, the 40s and 50-year-olds, who were raised by people who were raised by parents who grew up in the Depression. That What we had in that generation, one generation before, say, my generation, was people who were raised by people who were scared silly that they were never going to have enough money. And so those people tended to grow up with a very scarcity mentality, and they did one of two things with their children. They either continued to teach, you've got to save, 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 you might, you know, it might, there might never be enough money, or they went 180 degrees the other way, and they said, it was so tough when I was growing up, I wanted to give my kids a better life. And so they gave their kids all the abundance that they missed out on. That seems to be the prevailing thing that I've seen happening. And so my generation in the 40s and 50s, certainly younger, are, have been raised in a way that is very different from a couple generations ago. And I think it speaks to the kinds of uh, money mentalities that we've got going on in our country right now. More and more people who have not lived conservatively and are not worried about running out of money. So if you're, say, one of those baby boomers today that had yeah. a pretty affluent 
upbringing. Uh, uh, kind of entitled, I guess you might say, upbringing. Okay. Um, what is the, the best way going forward with what you see with the economy going forward? If you were to have young children today, uh, should you kind of in, in, continue that same affluent, entitled feeling, or you should kind of go back to your grandparents' uh, depression-era mentality? Well, there's somewhere, uh, some happy medium in between there. It's like the pendulum swinging from the depression era all the way to these abundant, entitled children that we might have today, somewhere in the middle. But those parents, are they've got to examine themselves first. They've got to figure out if they can go teach appropriate skills to their children if they don't, they might not have them themselves. Right now, there are so many people feeling the panic of having not been set up appropriately for this financial crisis, I'd encourage them to go seek out a holistic financial planner, somebody that will be willing to talk about all the issues around money, not just investing, but the relationship side of it, and get their own story straight. Usually a person like that will have some great advice to help give your children a good way uh, to learn money skills. Um, I, I certainly have, I'm writing a book, as I told you, and there's some chapters in there that talk about ways we can teach good examples to our own children. What role has credit card debt played in, I guess you call it, the entitled generation, that people were buying things they, in the, the previous generation couldn't afford and therefore wouldn't buy? This right. generation maybe couldn't right. afford them and it did buy it because of the availability of credit. There's some wonderful uh, studies that are being done right now where they're going into classrooms and they're asking children to explain to them how a credit card works. And what we're finding is that they, they do not understand at all. They believe that the credit card is full of money, you know, that it's an account that you just are, they don't understand that afterwards you have to have the money to pay that card back. So the credit card has played an enormous part in our financial demise, and we're going to have to get it together. And I, you know, I hate to say the government's got to regulate. People can't be trusted with their own finances, but we've got big problems out there. We're going to have to find some ways to rein people back in. Is the new credit card law, which went into effect in February, having a positive or negative effect on what you're looking to do here? I don't know, Jordan. I, I feel like uh, there's some parts of that credit card reform that were wonderful, the, the part that addressed um, credit to the young adult, you know, the 21 or younger. You've got to have uh, a co-signing parent and things of that nature. I like the way that the new bill makes the uh, statements exposed. If you wait to pay this, this is how much it'll be and blah, blah, blah. But um, I, I, I'm not sure if I think it's going to make the impact we need it to make. And, and I never claim to, to have the knowledge to know how to do that. And how about the new financial reform bill that's been passed? Is that, if you're <laughs> in the business yourself, is that going to make things better for consumers the way it's designed to do? Uh, 2,300 pages. I can't say I've gotten through it all. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the fiduciary duty yeah. is one example. That, oh, that part. To me, I mean, that was something that existed even before it was in writing. You don't have to tell me that I have to have a fiduciary standard when I give financial advice to clients. So sure, it, that's going to be a good thing. I think uh, beefing up the SEC, putting them on their toes and making sure that they do better jobs, finding the Madoffs and the people like that that existed for years and years and years and should have been found out a long time ago. So I think that part will be good. Uh, but there's an awful lot of spending and um, job creation that I, I just hope it works in the, in the right way versus just building up government agencies. And some people are saying that particularly because of the fiduciary duty and other regulations on broker-dealers that's going to make uh, financial advisors and broker-dealers much more cautious about giving advice 
is if they give something that doesn't work out, the lawyers will come and sue them and say you didn't give good fiduciary advice. Are you saying that? I no, I, I think that that's always been the case. If, if you give out advice that was not suitable to your client, you're, you've always been in a position to get sued, and the lawyers have always been on that. Uh, I, you know, again, I'm probably not the right person to ask because I feel like I've always done a very ethical job and practiced what I've preached and suggested to my clients the same kind of investments that I've used myself. So I, I don't, I don't feel like it's going to change the scrutiny that I personally give to the investment recommendations that we give our clients. I think that industry-wide, it will certainly tighten things up. There's always some bad eggs in the mix, and, and it will certainly rein those people in. Very good. All right, we're going to go to a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Karen Lee, uh, who is a financial planner in the Atlanta area. Uh, her website is KarenLeeAndAssociates.com. We'll be back after this. the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now. Toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Ready to grow your business? Listen for the Independent Business Owner Show with your coach, Rick Carrado. This entertaining talk radio program will bring you the tools to help increase your business. You'll learn sales success, time management, lead generation, business development, life balance, and much more. Rick Carrado is here to help you take your business to the next level. Listen for the Independent Business Owner Show, heard live every Monday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Network. Join Patricia Raskin, the host of Positive Living on VoiceAmerica.com, Monday at 11 Pacific. This program brings you practical and inspiring principles for living a more authentic, engaging, and passionate life. Patricia's guests will give you a formula for connecting, giving, forgiving, and miraculous living. So tune in and call to Positive Living, Mondays at 11 Pacific time, right here on VoiceAmerica.com. Hi, this is Jordan Goodman, host of The Money Answer Show. I cordially invite you to join me and some of my favorite investing experts for the Money Answers Investing Cruise from February 12th through February 19th, 2011, on board Holland America's luxurious MS Eurodam. In this volatile investing environment, good advice is more important than ever, and this exclusive Caribbean cruise offers not only fun, but also a full week of highly informative events with me and other top investing experts like Ray Lucia and Charles Payne from Fox News Network. During seminars, panel discussions, and Q&As, at cocktail parties and at dinners, we will discuss current market conditions and the best places for your investment dollars. Meanwhile, luxuriate in the amenities of Holland America's newest ship and visit some of the best ports for shopping, sightseeing, and sunning. For more information, go to www.moneyanswerscruise.com or call 800 707 1634. That's 800-707-1634. And don't delay because spaces are limited. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. 
You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Karen Lee, uh, who is a financial planner based in the Atlanta area. Welcome back to the show, Karen. Thanks, Jordan. You often talk about a financial plan being similar to a diet. Yes. Um, how, what are the similarities and how, what can one learn about dieting that would apply to financial planning and vice versa? Right, right. What I see, in, especially in America, is this uh, constant yo-yo dieting. We diet, diet, diet. We lose whatever weight. But then we go back to our old evil ways and slowly gain the weight back. And the key to long-term fitness and health would be to understand the underlying reasons why we overeat in the first place and try to fix those beliefs while we're dieting so that then we don't have to do the yo-yo weight gain again. So I use that analogy to help people understand that we can take a financial situation, say somebody comes to me and they're in debt and they haven't saved and we can get that debt paid off and we can set up an 18 month or two year plan to clear it out and then put them on the road to saving. But if we don't examine how they got that into that place in the first place, how, how did they overspend? What things happened and decisions did they make? If We have to address that and try to change those core values so that then at the end of that 18 month or two year plan, they don't repeat the same mistake. Do you think that is possible to change people like that? You said these are kind of long-ingrained habits that people have. Of course I think it's possible. I believe in in the human spirit. I'm an eternal optimist. I think it's hard work, but I do believe it's possible, and I've seen people do it. Speaking of your eternal optimism, uh, you've been telling me that uh, some people are are eternal pessimists these days and think we're about to have Armageddon and the end of society and so on. Sure. Uh, What are their arguments and how do you uh, counteract them? Well, I think that with every uh, disaster that we face in the world, that there's a, a group of people that will always say, this is it. You know, this is the end of times. The Bible predicted this. Uh, everything is different now than it, it than it's ever been, and it will never be the same. And I recall specifically, and I bet you remember too, on September 11th, what nine years ago, thinking the world will never be the same. We watched those buildings crash down, and I really personally thought this is it. This is different than it's ever been before. So every time we have a financial disaster or some kind of world crisis, we think this time is different, and it's going it's never going to be the same. So what I try to do is when people, again, just over not only the last two years, but even recently with this Gulf oil spill, uh, with the state of the European uh, problems, I've had people say to me, you know, this is it. It's all different going forward. They might tie it to the presidency or, or uh, other political powers. And what I try to say is, for one, I am an optimist, and I, but I also am a historian, and I look backwards and I say that generation after generation has gone through huge challenges and upheavals, and at that time people thought, this is it, this is the end, it, this time's different, and things will never be the same again, but eventually things do return to a type of normal, maybe a new normal, but a type of normal. So I tend to believe that we're in a typical economic business cycle. Uh, we're at the, we've hit the low end of it, and we're on the uprise, and there's more rising to come. But the time will come, and it might be five years or ten years down the road. We'll hit another peak of the business cycle, 
and something else big will happen and it will start to crumble again and we'll repeat this process over and over. So you're not concerned about the, the big deficits and hyperinflation and all the things you hear people talking well, about all the time? Well, yes, I'm concerned about it, but do I feel like they will make the world a completely different place than we've ever lived through before? No, I think we'll, we'll repeat historical cycles. We've lived through hyperinflation before. It hasn't been pretty. Uh, we've lived through economic uh, downturns. Again, it's no fun. And I, This is not as big as, you're, as people are making it out to be the end of the world, and you're saying that that's an overreaction. Well, I think it's an overreaction, and if that is the case, what can we do about it anyway? But, yeah, I think it's an overreaction. <laughs> There'll be no place to hide, I guess. Is what <laughs> We're all going down together. <laughs> all right. Let's talk about some of the solutions uh, you have for how people are dealing with their money. The first thing is you say money uh, should not be secretive. Uh, how are people secretive with their money, and what are the effects of that? Oh, gosh. People are, I mean, you, you, know, you would never go up to someone and ask how much they earn, what did you pay for your house, things of that nature. Couples don't necessarily, I find married couples that don't talk to each other about the money situation. Money's very secretive. Uh, I'm regularly approached by friends who are not clients, and they say, you know, can I come meet with you? And then they'll want to share their story with me. And, of course, I say, of course. And, and I, I would talk to anybody, at it, you know, for free just to get them to talk about their situation. But then when they share with me what's going on, they tell me that nobody knows this story, whatever debt they're in or whatever crisis they're in. or No one knows. And they're holding the burden of that on their own shoulders. So I say don't be secretive. You should share your financial situation with a trusted advisor or a dear friend or a parent, if you've got a, a parent who's savvy with money. And, um, because there might be some, some good advice you can get that you didn't even realize. But because you're embarrassed or you feel like money is secretive, you don't want to share it. You know, a lot of people, when I talk about how it was growing up around money, I find that many, many families never discuss money openly with their children. Similar to sex, they won't discuss sex openly, uh, but money is a topic that you'd think it's a skill set that we should teach our children. A lot of people don't talk about it. So, yes. Don't if you have secrets between spouses, say you're, you're talking to one spouse and not the other, Oh, yeah. Will you be the one to break the, uh, the, the word to the other spouse, or how, how do you handle the situation? I no, mean, they, no, no. They I need to deal with something. Yeah, you mean if, if one spouse does, um, you know, the one spouse gets up and goes to the restroom and the other spouse says, oh, by the way, and tells right. me a secret, I'm certainly not going to share that with the other without their permission, but I would probably uh, counsel that person as the, the one who told me how important it would be to get this out on the table, and maybe we could have an open conversation. And then I'd be happy to facilitate that between them. What are some of the big secrets that people tend to hold on to? Credit cards that the other spouse doesn't know that they have, purchases that they made that they uh, find ways to hide that they made those purchases. Uh, sometimes I have a spouse, say there's a spouse that's a big saver, but the other's a spender. That saver spouse might be squirreling money away, saving and investing without the other one's knowledge because they think if the other one knew that they had it, that they'd try to spend it. How about gambling? Oh, uh, well, gambling and, and drug use, of course. But, I, you know, I don't find that as often. Yeah. I don't find that as often. Yeah. yeah. Well, people have a lot of secrets. I mean, for example, the whole Madoff situation, were, were you surprised at that or did you have a sense that uh, that kind of thing would blow up? You know, I was unaware of Bernie Madoff's uh, business um, 
in in the 23 years I've been in the business, I, I will tell you, I've lived in the Southeast virtually that whole time. I never met a client that had any Madoff holdings, so I never had any reason to um, research it myself to try to find out more about it. So I was unaware that it existed. So I was surprised, but, you know, I think more so the feeling I get when something like that blows up is, is a, a pain, a feeling of pain for my industry that, you know, it's hard enough to build up trust in the consumer that we're really trying to do a good thing out there doing financial planning, and somebody like a Madoff can take any trust we've created and destroy it in a snap of a finger. And, and you know, and fairly, I had clients who had been with me 10, 15 years, 20 years, come to me and say, I hate to ask this, but I feel like I've got to. How do I know that, that either you're not a Madoff or that the investments you've got me in aren't? And, mm-hmm. and that's, it's just a painful thing to live through. I mean, and I told them they had every right to ask me that, and we've become better about uh, helping clients understand how you can tell if, if your investments are legit or not. But that is a tough situation. And Since the Madoff thing came out, there seems yeah. to be a lot of other Ponzi schemes that have been yes. exposed. Do you yes. think there's a lot more to come? Are, there, are people uh, you know, being ripped off and don't know about it right now? I think the big ones of these types of Ponzi schemes, I think the big ones are pretty much on the table. I think you'll probably see a few more of the smaller ones exposed as time continues. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. If people have an awful lot of debt, what are some of the things that you would recommend, other than just telling them to get out of debt? What are some specific <laughs> things that they can do? Well, I don't know how popular the consu- um, consumer credit counseling services are. I, I, I am a big advocate of them for people that have gotten themselves into multi-card credit card debt, and I think that there's a, a misassumption with the, the public that. Only people that are in really, really bad shape or who don't make a lot of money can go use these sources. I've encouraged some people that have uh, higher incomes but had also gotten themselves into credit card trouble to go ahead and research some of these firms. And what we're finding is is that these people, these companies, have the ability to go to the credit card company on your behalf and negotiate a better deal, lower interest rates. And by going through this middleman, the credit card company is willing to do that, whereas they wouldn't if you called directly. So we're really encouraging people that really want to get a handle on it and reduce that debt and know that they've got a, an endpoint in mind to go ahead and call some of these companies. Yeah, I've mentioned before in the show the best place, I think, is a nonprofit credit counseling yes. group called Cambridge Credit Counseling Okay, great. at uh, cambridgecredit.org. Uh, their phone number, 800-897-2200. It works on a national basis and helps an awful lot of people. What, what do you think about these debt settlement companies you hear advertising all the time that say they'll settle your debt for 50 cents on the dollar or so? Yeah, I, uh, I have heard, and I'm curious what you have to say about this, Jordan, but I've heard you've got to be very careful that some of them are scams. I think most of them are scams, frankly. Okay, I have not ever had anyone pursue them, and uh, I, I know of some people who um, are working with some debt counselors who will attempt to go to the companies and get that. But yeah, I, I'm seeing these all over television with right. of Obama behind them, which looks like he's supporting them. And uh, yeah, my gut feel, tells me they're scams, but I haven't pursued looking at them. In fact, the Federal Trade Commission recently had a ruling uh, that's going to go into effect in September, banning upfront ah. fees from these debt settlement companies. Oh, fantastic. Uh, because uh, most, 97% of them do not provide a settlement, and yet they take fees. They took over $50 million in fees in the last year. Oh, goodness. And uh, they've really been hurting a lot of people. And meanwhile, they ruin your credit. 
because uh, you're not making your payments, you're paying right. them, and right. the creditors are calling you going crazy. So your credit goes down, you lose all the money in uh, fees to them, and in many cases they don't get your settlement. So I'm very much against the, the for-profit debt settlement companies right. and in favor of the uh, not-for-profit uh, consumer credit counseling companies. Good. All right, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Karen Lee, uh, who is a financial planner in the uh, uh, Atlanta area. Uh, her website is KarenLeeAndAssociates.com. We'll be back after this. It's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Hi, this is Jordan Goodman, host of The Money Answer Show. I cordially invite you to join me and some of my favorite investing experts for the Money Answers Investing Cruise from February 12th through February 19th, 2011 on board Holland America's luxurious MS Eurodam. In this volatile investing environment, good advice is more important than ever, and this exclusive Caribbean cruise offers not only fun, but also a full week of highly informative events with me and other top investing experts like Ray Lucia and Charles Payne from Fox News Network. During seminars, panel discussions, and Q&As, at cocktail parties and at dinners, we will discuss current market conditions and the best places for your investment dollars. Meanwhile, luxuriate in the amenities of Holland America's newest ship and visit some of the best ports for shopping, sightseeing, and sunning. For more information, go to www.moneyanswerscruise.com or call 800 707 1634. That's 800-707-1634. And don't delay, because spaces are limited. When you were young, did you feel free to daydream? Were you full of questions such as why, how, and what if? Did you allow yourself to be carefree, to dance and sing? Did you create just for fun? Want to feel that way again? Reclaim your natural curiosity and creativity with Dr. Carol Stalkup on Stargazing Stories, sparking your creativity. Revitalize your life, work, and relationships. Be more playful, be bold, imagine, explore, and live more creatively every day. Tune in Wednesdays at 11 a.m. in the East, 8 a.m. in the West on 7th Wave Network. Are you ready to talk football with the greatest wide receiver player and coach in NFL history? Tune in to Wide Open with Andre Rison. Andre is ready to talk to you and give his thoughts on the sport. There'll be celebrity guests, coaches, players, artists, and more. He'll go beyond the game with a look from the coach's point of view and feature a high school player each week. Tune in to Wide Open with host Andre Rison. Featured Thursdays at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. 
Welcome back to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Karen Lee, who's a financial planner based in the Atlanta area. Her website, KarenLeeAndAssociates.com. Welcome back to the show, Karen. Good to be back, Jordan. Uh, we talked about uh, automatic savings plans. And yes. what are some things that people can do to get savings going for them on an automatic basis so they don't have to kind of think about it too much? Sure. Number one thing, of course, is if your company has a 401k plan. Although I'll tell you, the number one thing I hear is when I suggest people should be in their 401k is, well, the company doesn't match it. Well, I don't care if the company matches it or not. You need to save money, and it's an automatic way to take it out of your paycheck pre-tax. Uh, and great if they match it. Second thing is I hear, well, I do use it, but only up to the matched amount, maybe to 5 or 6%. And really, we need people saving 10% or more of their income. So that's your number one way to start saving. Uh, there's plenty of other automatic savings plans you can create. You can go to your bank and tell them on the day your check gets direct deposited from your paycheck, you know, pull that 50, 100 bucks a month over into a separate savings account so it doesn't show up on your checking balance and hopefully you won't pull it out with your ATM card and spend it. Virtually all investments that we get our clients involved in can be set up automatic monthly drafts from the checking or savings account of their choice into the investment, whether it's going to a mutual fund house into a brokerage account, a 529 plan, et cetera. What is the advantage of saving automatically? Because people say, well, I can't afford it. I'll I'll save when I have a little extra money saved up. Uh, What is the advantage of doing it automatically? Well, when I first went into this business, it was very simplistically explained to me that people by nature are savers or spenders, that the saver gets their paycheck, saves a certain amount, spends the rest of what they need to pay their bills, and if there's anything left at the end of the month, they'll save it too. The spender does it the other way. They spend what they need to spend throughout the month, and if there's anything left at the end of the month, they save it, and there's never with those people anything left at the end of the month. So the value of the automatic savings right when you get paid is for many, many people, it's the only way it's going to happen, and you will get used to it, and you won't miss it if you do it automatically. Uh, you talk a lot about financial literacy, uh, particularly for high school and younger kids. Right. What, what is the value of that, and what are some of the things that you are doing to improve financial literacy? Well, you know, back when we were talking earlier in the show about the generational differences between the people that are raising children now and that, that don't have good financial skills versus their grandparents who had better skills because they were fearful, because we don't have adults that are capable of teaching appropriate skills to kids, that's why I think we need to start getting it into the school system. And and I'm talking pretty early. Like, it needs to start in elementary school. It needs to grow and build on itself through middle school and junior high school. But high school, it needs to be a mandatory course that's taken, required for graduation. I know here in Georgia, economics is required for graduation. I'd rather see personal finance swapped out for economics. uh, So if it's so important, why isn't more of it being done? I don't know. Um, you know, my it's funny. My husband went back to become a high school teacher three years ago, and he's teaching computers. Finance is just an elective and not a very popular one. So I don't know why. My mother also is, uh, was a teacher. She's retired long, long time ago now. But when I mentioned this to her about getting it into the school curriculum, she said, "Good luck." That changing that core curriculum is is a huge undertaking. So. I guess it's uh, people are very resistant to changing the the general stuff we teach in school, the math, the reading. But you know how important really is calculus and trigonometry and chemistry if you don't understand personal finances? 
What is the long-term impact of not teaching kids about personal finance in high school and so on? I believe it would be more and more of, of what we've got right now. A downfall of the American dream is what's at stake. Do you think getting into the right habits and understanding these things can make that big a difference? Absolutely, without a doubt. I'm completely convinced of that. And, and they'd make better clients for you, too, I guess. If people oh, come in yes. not being well financially <laughs> educated, it makes it harder for you to do your job. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. I can tell you there's maybe 10 to 20% of people I meet that I don't have to counsel about their spending, and they, they're automatically, I'll look at them and say, well, this is a client that can be successful. The other ones I worry about. When you propose an investment portfolio for a client, how do you allocate the money amongst the different asset choices you have? Well, first of all on that, you know, I'm truly a, an academic when it comes to um, investing, so we follow modern portfolio theory, which is what you're just describing, which is allocate money amongst all the different asset classes, which include all the kinds of stocks, so large companies, small companies, international companies, domestic co- uh, companies, uh, bonds, government bonds, corporate bonds, big company corporate bonds, smaller company corporate bonds, uh, real estate's an asset class. We're starting to throw precious metals in as an asset class, and some people want to put in um, commodities and managed futures and la, so la, la. Amongst all those assets, how do you determine for a client right, what right. percentage should go in, in which kind of asset class? So it's it's a, not an exact science. It's uh, First, most important thing is their time horizon. How long do they have to wait before they are going to use that money. And we used to say that a 10-year period of time was long enough to invest more heavily in the stock market. But we've just lived through a 10-year period of time where stocks did not outperform bonds if you had bought and held and not had the different asset classes and done your rebalancing. So we're probably pushing that time horizon out a little bit. If you've got 15 years or more, till retirement or till your kid's education, then you can weight your allocation more heavily into stocks. But we, I like to see a stock and bond mix in all asset allocations. So it might be the most aggressive allocation is 80% stock to 20% bond, uh, with a more conservative allocation being only maybe 40% in stock with 60% in bonds and cash. So being the optimist you are, you are <laughs> optimistic that stocks will outperform bonds over the next 10 to 15 years? Oh, yes. Uh, yes, and that's not even optimism. That's just uh, really relying on history and all the academic principles I understand. Also, I really believe in capitalism at its core, and that's what the stock market ultimately is, is watching companies grow and watching mankind invent and create and come up with new and better ways of production and manufacturing. And as long as companies keep coming forward they, in that way and are profitable, then the stock market's going to go up over the long term. So, I mean, right now people are doing the opposite. They're pouring money into bond funds and taking money out of stock funds. you think that's a mistake? I think investing should be a, there should be a long-term strategy in place that you shouldn't deviate from. So I, that what you're describing is market timing, and I'm going to get out of this one allocation and go into another allocation. I really don't believe in that. You have to guess right when you do that, and as humans, we're not very good at that. So if there's a methodical approach to how you buy into your long-term investments, and remember that in, in modern portfolio theory, the, the key element to making money is the rebalancing feature. 
So as long as you're rebalancing your allocation back to the original allocation you started with, with some regularity, at least once a year, you're forcing yourself to take profits off your winners and buy back into the losers. And this is on the premise that all these these, these allocation classes will go up over time just at different rates. Very good. All right. Well, thanks so much, Karen. It's really been a fascinating uh, hour. Good. Uh, I've been speaking with Karen Lee. Uh, Again, her website is KarenLeeAndAssociates.com. She's a financial planner based in the Atlanta area. Thanks so much for being on the show, Karen. Great to be on, Jordan. Thanks again. And listeners, I hope you enjoyed the show, and we'll be back again next week with another edition of The Money Answer Show. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and the Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.